into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall we believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, or have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on the, him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. Lord, I do believe it's the message you would have for today, and for whatever reason you've led this direction, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work and do a, a challenge in our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that has been in church perhaps, but does not know for sure that if they were to die, they would go to heaven. Perhaps they've struggled with it. Lord, I pray that through your preaching this morning and the convicting of your Holy Spirit, they'll see that need. And Father, it would be a shame to do as the rich young ruler did that night as he came so near to the threshold of eternity and he turned and left. Lord, it would be a shame for someone to sit in this service and leave here lost. I pray that you'll take and do what we cannot do. Lord, do a magnificent work, a work of transformation in the heart of someone here today. Lord, for Christians, I pray that you would help us to have our hearts broadened, our love for you increased. Lord, as we leave here, that we would love you so much more than we did when we walked in here. We'll draw closer to you and strive with every fiber of our being to be all that you would want us to be. To please you in every way that we possibly can. So Lord, I pray that you'll bless the next few moments. Help us to lay aside the weights that we've carried in here and the burdens. And put our hearts and our minds wholly and completely upon you. Bless the remainder of the time that we have here together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Nicodemus comes to Christ and he's a religious leader of the day in the nation of Israel and is questioning some of the teachings of Christ. It's amazing to me, uh, as we even while I was preparing for the message that I thought we would bring from the Sermon on the Mount today, that the Bible says that they were astounded at his teaching. It's amazing when Christ came and did his earthly ministry on this earth, how different the teaching of Christ was to the philosophies of even the religious leaders of the day. Nicodemus, come, Nicodemus comes to Christ and he asks him how he can be saved. And 
Jesus says that he must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't quite understand or comprehend what Christ is saying here. And so Jesus begins to try to explain to him that that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. There's something that is made alive in us at the moment of salvation. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell in the life and the heart of a man who's trusted Christ as his Savior and makes him alive in an area that once was laying dormant and dead. So he's trying to explain this to uh, 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 Nehemiah. And as he gets down into verses 14 and, and following, we find verses here that to us are extremely familiar. And one of the dangers of sometimes having verses this familiar to us is that we lose the impact of what they're actually saying. I want us to look at these very briefly and then we're going to turn into the book of Luke and we'll look at a couple of things there as well. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 14 as Jesus, again, explaining to Nicodemus, He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I don't know about you, but I was born and raised in a pastor's home. And for many, many years was very callous to the things of the Lord because I'd heard them from the time I was old enough to even understand. I'd made a profession of faith when I was a very young age, I believe about four or five years old, but... Didn't know at all what I was doing. Just wanted to go up to the altar and pray and do that. It looked fun. And I struggled with my salvation for so many years. And uh, when I was 13 years old, I was so worried because I knew I was not saved. I was so worried that the rapture would take place and my family would go and I would be left behind. I'd have nightmares over and over again. The rapture happening, I was left behind. I'd wake up in cold sweats. But I was so scared of what God, or what, what people would say and what, what people would think because here's the pastor's son. What would happen if I went forward in the service and said, I'm not saved? And I struggled with that for many, many years, worried about what people were going to say. And finally, when I was 13 years old, I'd watched men come into the pulpits of the church that we were at Talk about the derelict life that God had saved them from, this terrible, terrible life of sin. And I used to think, Lord, I'm, I'm not Him. I'm not, I'm not like that. I, I was raised in a pastor's home. We couldn't even blink funny without getting in trouble. But I came to a realization that the sin I had in my life nailed my Savior to the same cross that the sin of any other man has nailed him to. Boy, the words, God so loved the world, became very precious to me that day. So I put my faith and trust not in my family and not in the church and not in the fact that I had lived a decent life. I put my faith and my hope of heaven not in those things, but in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no better verse in Scripture that wraps up the gospel message than John 3.16. It 
It's amazing as Paul was writing to the Jews in Rome. He said, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was talking to a fellow this week. Witnessing to him, and I've witnessed to him several times before, and I'm very burdened for him. He said, there's nothing in this earth that has ever convinced me that I need God for anything. And I said, hey, I called him by name, and I said, listen. I said, I just want you to know that God loves you an awful lot. And even though you reject him, he still loves you. He wants to save you. I hope and I pray that one day this young man will see the love of God in its true form. Be able to realize that even when he was sinning, even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. We get down to verse number 18, and I think this is an area that so many times we, in dealing with people about salvation, we do not under, they do not understand fully and we do not do an adequate job in explaining it to them. The Bible says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, the Bible says. If you ask somebody what they have to do in order to go to hell, you'll get a lot of answers. You'll have some people say, well, you have to live a wicked lifestyle. You have to do something really bad to go to hell. The truth of the matter is, man doesn't have to do one thing to go to hell. We are born sinners And according to the Bible, according to God's Word itself, it says we're condemned already. I am so thankful for this verse here. The Bible says in verse number 17 of John chapter 3, look with me if you will. For God sent not His Son into the world to what? Condemn the world. But that the world through Him might be saved. We've been given a great commission to go into the world and to bring the greatest news they've ever heard. The problem is most of them don't realize it's great news because they don't realize they're already condemned in their state that they're in now. And most of them have this view of God that God is some condemning God that's up there in heaven and joys and and, and laughs and has a great deal of excitement and joy in condemning the sinner to hell. The truth of the matter is, according to my Bible, that says that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't take any joy in man going to hell. God doesn't take any joy in sending some sinner who's rejected Him to hell. It's His great joy and delight when men will come to Him to seek for their salvation. The Bible says in verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. For some reason, the world has in their minds that God is the reason why they're going to hell. The truth of the matter is, God's doing everything He can to keep... Take your Bibles with me, if you will, and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23, verse number 12. 
And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves and Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. Behold, I have examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. Nor yet Herod, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent to, uh, you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto them at that feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. He said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? The Bible teaches quite clearly that God loves us so much. He wants to keep us out of hell. He wants to give us life, the Bible says, and to give it to us more abundantly. He wants to give us joy unspeakable and full of glory. But there is another character in Scripture that's out trying to destroy man. The Bible calls him a roaring lion walking to and fro seeking whom he may devour. I believe that when Jesus said, Woe unto them that calleth good evil and evil good, He had in mind the fact that the world would at some point get to the mind where they believed that truly the things of Satan have their best interest at heart and the things of God are just out to get them. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. God's not out to get you. God loves you. He sent his son, and we've read at least three different times that Pilate comes to the people. He says, I find no fault in him. But there was fault that needed to be paid for. It just wasn't his. It was yours. And it was mine. And so Christ decided in that garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed, Father, not my will, but thy be done. He decided that he was going to take my imperfections, my sins, my iniquities. And he was going to take yours. And he was going to carry them to the cross of Calvary. The Bible says in verse number 22, I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. They were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified, and the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon of Cyrenian. Coming out of the country and on him, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. 
And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, <laughs> turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never gave bare, and the paps which never gave suck, for they shall... For they shall begin to say in the mountain, fall on us, into the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And I say again, Oh, what a Savior. At the moment of paying for the sins of men in absolute agony on the cross. Even during that time, one comes to him. And basically the malefactor was saying, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, I will. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Oh, what a precious thing. Can you imagine what that high priest thought when for the very first time he looked into the Holy of Holies? At the very mercy seat of God, What an amazing thing. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to the sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. 
Behold, there was a man named Joseph, a conseller, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel indeed of them. He was uh, of uh, Arimathea, uh, Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man was before was laid. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Oh, the joy of the gospel story. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet at Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rising in. And they remembered his words, and returned from the sepulcher, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And the words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Well, we live in a day and age where many are thinking that, aren't they? Then arose Peter. ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. I've often wondered, as I've read that verse, what Peter was feeling. Peter was the one who said, Lord, I won't deny you even till death. And Jesus said, no, Peter. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter did. What do you think is going through Peter's mind at this point? You want to see a loving Savior? We find him a few days later. As he's sitting there by the fire, they've just eaten some fish that the Lord had prepared for them. And he comes to Peter and he says, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love you. The Bible says Jesus asked him again and said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? He said, Yea, Lord. And a third time, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? You know what our Bible says? Our Bible says that Peter was sorrowful because he asked him the third time. 
Peter wasn't sorrowful that Christ doubted his love. The full impact of what Christ had just done weighed very heavy on Peter. Three times he had denied him. And Christ said, three times I'll let you express your love for me. And all I can say once again is, oh, what a Savior. Because the truth of the matter is, how many times do you and I deny Christ? Whether we're lost here today and we've heard the gospel story, we continue to put it off and put it off and put it off and say, I will not trust Him. Or whether we're a Christian that just, we've trusted Him as our Savior, but our lives sure don't hold up, do they? We fail Him, and we fail Him, and we fail Him. And yet even then, the truth of God so loves the world rings clear in our ears. We almost can hear Him as He said to Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? I love it when the two men in shining apparel standing by the tomb said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, for He is risen. I'm thankful we spent some time the other day, last Sunday night in fact, dealing with Hebrews and the book of Hebrews and how that Christ is our high priest. He's in heaven. He's our advocate at the right hand of the Father ever making intercession for us. He's the surety of our salvation. By the way, if that doesn't give us concrete evidence that once we're saved, we're always saved, I don't know what else can. Because my salvation and the fact that I stay saved is not left up to me and I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Oh, if it was left up to us, we of all men would be most miserable. But I am thankful that He is the surety of our salvation. I am thankful that the Bible says that He is the guarantor of the New Testament. He's the one that is the testator of the New Testament. The one that is the witness to it. The one that is the, the, the co-signer to the loan, if you will. The one who says, if, if Greg fails, then you put the rest of it, what he does on my account. And all I can say is, oh, what a Savior. If you're here this morning and you've been struggling with the idea of whether to be saved or not, whether you've trusted Him as your Savior or not, can I ask you this question? Why? Why are you struggling? He loves you. He wants to save you. If you're a Christian here this morning, have we lost some of our love for Him? Maybe our salvation, the joy of that salvation that He gives has been lost somewhere along the way. Maybe the full impact and realization of what all Christ did for us has been lost somewhere. It reflects in our life, doesn't it? It reflects in our life. Because Christ said, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. I wonder often, in the day and age that you and I live, if there will ever be a time when God's people 
come back to a full realization of just what all He's done for us. Where we allow it to impact our lives. And by the way, if we can see it this way every day of our life, it'll change the way we live, won't it? We'll have such a love for Him. Years ago, my uncle had told me, and I've shared this a few times in our church, but by way of remembrance, it's good to remember this, but my uncle told me one time years ago, he said, I tell your aunt as often as I do as every day if I can remember to do it if I'm there. He said, I always tell her this, I love you more today than I did yesterday, but not as much as I'll love you tomorrow. And I thought, you know, wouldn't that be wonderful if Christians could say that to God? God, I love you more today than I did yesterday. Hopefully not as much as I'll love you tomorrow, though. I want to love you more tomorrow than I did today. I want to do more to be what you want me to be tomorrow than I did today. I want there to be a deeper burning desire in my heart to be what I ought to be every day. My question first is, are you saved? And you say, Brother Greg, I've been in church a long time. I didn't ask you that question. I sat in a church 13 years lost. I'm asking you today, are you saved? I've heard people give their testimonies and there are times I cringe and I think they're not trusting in Christ. They're trusting in other things to get them to heaven. Are you saved this morning? What are you trusting in to take you to heaven? Christ told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've got to come to Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Are you saved this morning? And then Christians that are here, can I ask you this? Have we lost our joy of salvation? When was the last time we sat down with just an absolute spirit of thanksgiving and said, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you've done for me. We don't deserve it. There's not one thing we could have done to earn it. He gave it to us because He loved us. I wonder where we're at in our life, in our spiritual walk. Not much of a message, but it's something that I believe God wanted for the hour. And I don't understand why, but perhaps He had something in here for somebody. Maybe it was for me. But I hope it will help you this morning. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful.